0: This podcast is sponsored by the Music Player Network at musicplayer.com, the premier musician resource for keyboard players and beyond. Since the year 2000, the Music Player Network has been the go-to source for news and views on music technology, playing tips, and gigging help. The Keyboard Corner is one of the longest-running keyboard forums in internet history, with guitar, bass, drum, and numerous recording and music tech forums also on offer. Frequented by weekend warriors, manufacturers' representatives, and professionals alike, MPN provides an invaluable resource for any musician, and it's 100% free to sign up and use. Go to www.musicplayer.com to see for yourself.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host David Holloway and it's great as always to be here with you. My guest this episode is Kevin Hearn. Now Kevin is perhaps best known as Keyboard Player with the Bare Naked Ladies, an iconic uh, Canada-based band who's had huge worldwide success. But as I discovered when I completed my research for the interview, Kevin is someone who's created one incredible body of work across a range of genres. So I hope you enjoy this interview as we try to cover everything Kevin's done from obviously playing with the Bare Naked Ladies to being musical director and keyboard player with Lou Reed uh, and a hell of a lot more in between. So yes, I hope you enjoy it. Hi Kevin, thanks so much for joining us, particularly on a Thursday night. Hello. Um, now, I've, I was going to say this anyway, but you've just proven, proven the point. I, I was going to say that from doing a little bit of research on yourself, that you are one busy man, and um, you've proven it tonight because you've already been doing a whole bunch of great stuff this afternoon and into the evening. Um, do you ever slow down?
0: Uh, I try to, but then I, I get sucked back in. <laughs> and you know why? It's because I freaking love what I do. I love music and there's there's not enough time. So I just got to do it yeah. when I can.
1: And that certainly comes across. But just uh, one of the questions um, I, I've been asking in recent weeks is how, how are you coping with the lockdown? You're obviously not getting bored.
0: No. I... Uh, I've been in isolation before, and uh, some of my best creative work, I believe, has been done when I'm in isolation, Uh, so I'm kind of, uh, I'm embracing it. I'm not putting any creative pressure on myself. I'm, I'm spending a lot of good quality time with my daughter and just taking it day by day, you know, and hoping... Hoping it all means something, and hoping that it all leads to a better world and us as better people.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, and on isolation, I assume you're talking about there. You, you've you spent some time, um, well, both growing up and um, more recently on um, a cottage by the lake. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but I'm I'm referring to the fact that, uh, like, I had uh, a bone marrow transplant. Oh, of course. Yeah, and it's a five-year recovery, and and when you're really in the thick of it, you have to be in an isolated room because they basically um, zap your immune system. So um, I was in a hospital room for about a month, and you couldn't have visitors. You couldn't have anything that was... Um, porous like cardboard you couldn't have any raw food in there and so it was very strict (laughs) and an awful time but it was there I really fell in love with music again and appreciated its healing qualities and and wrote a really important record in my my life called H-Wing which is the wing of the hospital where I was staying so sorry, I'm just blathering on. No, not at all,
1: and we and I'm I'm very very keen to talk about your solo work because um yeah it's it's impressive to say the least. So I, I I'll jump back a little bit and then we'll definitely come forward to that because I, I am really keen to talk about it. So, um, Kevin Hearn, the the young man, what what got you into music? What what led to you um ending up in a career in music?
0: I have. Uh two sisters and three brothers and i was number five out of six kids and grew up middle class we all shared bedrooms and there was a lot of music in our house and everyone had a bit of a different taste so depending on whether you wandered where you wandered through the house You might hear my mom playing Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, or Andy Williams. You might hear my dad uh, listening to jazz. Uh, You might hear my brothers listening to uh, Jimi Hendrix or Kiss, or my (laughs) sister Mary Pat listening to uh, the Bay City Rollers. You know, (laughs) so uh, I fell in love with the Beatles and the Beach Boys when I was about Five years old, uh, along with all the other things, but those two really stood out. And my first record that I ever bought with money that I asked for from my mom was a cassette of Magical Mystery Tour.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah, for a kid to see those the characters of the Beatles when they're kind of dressed up as the walrus and the uh, the other animals—I can't really remember. I'd have to get the album out here, but. Um, it just fascinated me as a kid and I was like, this is, this is the world I want to exist in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I asked my mom, I said, I got to get piano lessons because my, my older brothers and sisters were taking piano lessons and I couldn't wait.
1: And obviously um, those piano lessons paid off. So how, how did you actually find the learning process for the keyboard as far as it was something you took to like a duck to water or it, it was a little bit of work there?
0: It was a little bit of work, and my favorite thing was to just improvise. I always loved just diving in and and making noise, Um, and eventually, oh, sorry about that, speaking of making noise, (laughs) uh, eventually sort of putting my emotions or whatever I was going through in my life, whether it was my parents breaking up or... uh, anything but break up with a girl I liked I put it into playing the piano and um, my mom she she um, you know she would be upstairs and I'd always hear this that's not your practicing those <laughs> are your scales <laughs> you know and so my mom proposed a deal and that was you know you do an hour of your scales and your pieces and then you can improvise for an hour or however long you want. Um, so that's kind of how I I progressed in my in my daily um, piano time. I would do the scales and learn some a piece or two, and then then improvise.
1: That's a good good balance too. So a lot of parents wouldn't have done that. So it, it, there tends to be that stereotype of buckle down and do your lessons, and then you're done. Whereas you had that balance, which probably made all the difference.
0: It sure did. And I don't know, you know, I'd never really thought of that that way until you, you said that. But you're right. Many parents may not have taken that route. Good so thanks, mom.
1: That's right. Thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and so how did that translate? Obviously you're doing lessons, um, what led you to joining your first band? So um, I'm aware you've been in a number of bands, um, what, what led to those first few experiences?
0: Well as I said I, I really loved the Beatles and the Beach Boys and the piano I was learning, it was very classical and the school I went to was, uh, I went to a place called St. Michael's Choir School from grade three to grade 10 and it really focused on sacred music so there was a lot of music in my life but I wouldn't say it was music that really resonated with me as uh you know what age I was at and what I was able to appreciate and I was playing there used to be this game they actually sold it it's illegal now but I think it was called lawn darts and I was (laughs) playing Uh, I was playing lawn darts with my friend Billy, who lived across the street. We were on his front lawn. And he had uh, like, um, a portable tape deck radio. And it was out on the sidewalk. And this song came on the radio. And I was transfixed, man. It was Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed. Yeah. And it just drew me in. And I remember that first moment hearing Lou's voice and thinking what is this and my my eldest sister um who lived in the basement and you know she was kind of a rebellious person i went to her i said have you ever heard of this guy lou reed and she had trans she had the transformer album she actually had it and i still have that record now it's you know in my collection right behind me (laughs) so Uh, that sort of turned me on to a whole new world of music. And I started playing guitar and guitar sort of became my rebellious instrument. I would practice the piano, the scales and that sort of thing. Um, But I started playing guitar and, and learning songs by Lou Reed, Neil Young, the Beatles um, do you mind if I just blather on here for no, a minute longer? No, this is what it's it...
1: about, and, and I was about to say okay. we will definitely talk about Lou Reed later as well. we'll we de- but no, please do.
0: Okay, because it all connects. It does. So, so I was uh, I was learning guitar and starting to join bands as a guitarist, but then the choir I was in, Saint Michael's Choir School, we were invited to take part at Roy Thompson Hall with the premier Canadian performance of Mahler's Eighth Symphony. Wow. Yes, and it was it was an ear-opening experience, an eye-opening experience, a soul-opening experience. The power of the music, um, it really moved me. And I suddenly appreciated classical music and the beauty of it and started approaching the piano with a lot more enthusiasm and appreciation for what an incredible instrument it is.
1: And I mean, just as an aside on that, I've said this before on this podcast that if I was asked the most powerful musical experience I've ever had, it was sitting in the middle of a, I think it was only a 45 piece orchestra um, involved in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar. And like you, it was just one of those ear opening moments you go, okay, I understand now why orchestras have the power they do.
0: Yeah. And why they've lasted so long and (laughs) yeah, are still important. It's true. And uh, I um, heard a record lately, recently, it was uh, an orchestra performing the Flaming Lips, oh, yeah. the Soft Bulletin record. And I, it was, again, a great fit for that sort of, um, well, yeah, it was a great fit.
1: So And so the, the ears were opened um, and then... Uh, I'm assuming was it the traditional? I uh, saw an ad, ad in the paper for a keyboard player for a band or a guitar player for a band, and you joined one, or you put put something together yourself in those early days. Uh,
0: I was always kind of playing with with friends from my from the choir school, uh, and as I got more into high school, I started getting into weirder music and um. Started appreciating keyboard music more and really getting into bands like The Residents mm. and Kraftwerk. Um, I really liked the keyboardist from The Stranglers, oh, yeah. uh, Devo, and as much as I wanted to be a, a you know cool guitarist, most bands that wanted me to play with them would ask me to, to play piano or keyboards. <laughs> so i was like okay maybe i'm maybe i'm a good keyboard player and so i i uh i let me think yeah the first band i really think was creative and original was my high school band called the, the glaciers
1: okay
0: yeah and we were a bunch of loners and stoners and we didn't go out on the weekends we'd go into my friend anthony brown's basement and he had a a 4-track recorder, and he had a room full of synthesizers, and we would make strange music. And boy, was it fun. He had a Chord Monopoly, he had a a Chord Poly 6, and a a few other things. But um, that was my first band. And I sort of stuck with those guys. They were my best friends all through high school.
1: And I think you do. Well, you had a great band name for your first band.
0: Yeah, I think so. The Glaciers. Yeah. yeah. That,
1: that's that's <laughs> very good.
0: I just uh, transferred a lot of our old cassettes into Pro Tools and you know, some of it's embarrassing, but there was some just some gems, you know. It's it's amazing to look back and and when you don't know the music business and you're just making music for the pure joy of it and adventure of it, it's really quite astounding what you can come up with.
1: And, um, obviously you, you finished up school then and, and what led you to the decision that you were going to try this full time or, or did you even do this full time from the get go or, or did you have another series of jobs prior?
0: um, when I was in grade thirteen, uh, there was a girl I really liked. She was the first love of my life, Susie Brady, and she was dating this punk rocker guy named Ian Sane. And he was, uh, you know, he he was very intimidating, but he had this act he was doing called Mister Personality, where he would do sort of punk rock um, versions of of songs, and he through her, um, asked if I would join his band and play the keyboards. So that was sort of my first out-of-high-school experience. And I think we did four gigs, but during those four gigs, I was approached by this other notorious band from Toronto called The Look People. And they were they were like a prog rock band. It was like King Crimson meets Frank Zappa meets Dr. Seuss. And... We rehearsed a lot, and the arrangements were very extravagant and yeah. stupid at times. Like, in this verse, we're going to do three shots, and the next verse, we're going to do 11 for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Look People, man, that was my first professional band, and we were playing in the bars in Toronto. Yeah,
1: That's great. And then I know um, you had some other outfits you involved with, but probably let's jump forward then to... Um, hooking up with um, the bare naked ladies in mid mid nineties. So how did that come about? Just from your previous work, or knowing someone um, and playing with them, or?
0: Well, the look people were pretty well known in the mm. Toronto music scene, and and so through them I was invited to um, play with some other groups in Toronto. Uh, one group called the Rio Status mm. and a, and a comedy uh, troupe a musical comedy troupe called Corky and the Juice Pigs. And those uh, two bands, the Bare Naked Ladies were huge fans of both of those bands. So they would be at the shows and they saw me play. And I, I believe they just finished their, working on their third record. And Jim Cregan's brother, Andy Cregan, left the band. And they put me and, and said, Kevin, we we don't want to go through a big audition process. Really like you, and we were hoping to do a two and a half month tour with us. And after that tour, they they invited me to join as a as a band member. So oh, there you go.
1: That was 1990,
0: 1995.
1: Yeah, a long, long time ago. And but and for our non Canadian listeners, um, the Bear Naked Laser extremely well known now. But I think it's just worth reinforcing that prior to that widespread world success Bear Naked Ladies were an extremely well established very important iconic band in Canada. So and you may laugh at this Kevin but from where I'm sitting in Australia you were sort of Ben Naked Ladies was sort of uh, an in excess level in Canada like in excess was in Australia before they hit the Okay. I <laughs> I I know it's not a great <laughs> analogy because it's they're very different <laughs> musical styles. Well, different type of rock but um, I was introduced by Canadian friends, um, and w- was just blown away back in the '90s. So it's just, yeah, it's just worth mentioning to our non-Canadian listeners just what a a, a well-established band you guys were even before hitting that even bigger success. Um, well, thank
0: you. When when I hear In Excess, I, you know, I always considered them a pretty top-level band, you know.
1: Yeah, well, I think like like you guys, they they had that initial. They worked extremely hard, did a lot of touring in their home country, and then sort of went on to mm-hmm. to conquer um, other markets. Um, so, there's a
0: songwriter from there's a songwriter from Australia, I believe, who I have recently really fallen in love with his songs. It's uh, Robert Forster.
1: Oh yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, from the Go Betweens. Yeah, he he's um, again this I've, I. Shouldn't even make this comparison. He, to some extent, is a little bit of a uh, Gord Downey ish char- character for Australians. Yeah, okay, prob- I probably, can see that. I'm probably it's yeah, it's not a totally fair uh, comparison, but yeah, he he's an iconic guy and, and obviously um very well respected. Yeah.
0: Do you Go mean be- uh, like his poetic the ly- the poetic quality of his lyrics?
1: Yeah, probably that, that's right. The poetic quality of his lyrics and just that. Um, Sitting outside, looking in, sort of approach to his songwriting. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, B- very, very good. So, yeah, if you if you haven't checked out the Go Betweens back catalogue, and obviously Robert's done a lot of stuff since as well. Yeah, very well worth a look. Okay. Um. So you, you, you're in the bare naked ladies. Obviously, um, that that's a busy life on its own. Um, from a keyboard playing viewpoint, do you want to just give us a little bit of a insight into how do you approach your work, I mean, you've got a huge back catalogue. You tour regularly when you're not locked down. I know you've got a rescheduled tour later this year. What's your overall work approach to to working as a keyboard player?
0: Oh, gosh. Uh, well, my first instrument is piano. Yeah. Uh, so that's usually the source of where I kind of work out melodies um, it's my comfort zone, but for colors, I love I love thinking of synth possibilities and creating sounds. Um, you know, go to synths like the Mini Moog or the uh, Access Virus, which I you know I use live on stage, and uh, I try to. I try to uh, inject some color into things, and I think that's what I brought to the table with the Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, their first two records are, are pretty much all acoustic, yeah. and uh, I really brought in some. You know, I like to sample sounds and create sounds, and uh, that's my approach.
1: Yeah, and and it's from a live performance viewpoint, um, any particular anecdotes of note as far as you you know highlights for you playing live with the bare naked ladies or any uh, even technical stuff that you've always found amusing train wrecks we like train wrecks on the podcast <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh i know i know there's so many and <laughs> when i'm put on the spot yeah, like this that i can't remember but let me think uh i remember my first this isn't my first gig with the Bare Naked Ladies. After the show, I started tearing down my my synthesizers. And uh, Rob, and our sound man came over and asked me what I was doing. I said, "I'm packing up my gear." And he said, "No, you don't. You <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> the crew does that." <laughs> and so, you know, I'd been schlepping in bars yeah. for ten years. I yeah. was uh, like, "Okay." <laughs> uh, Gosh, I know there's some funny stories. Let me think. As yeah, that's we talk. right. We'll come
1: back to them, yeah. Okay. And in respect okay. of songwriting, Kevin, so within Bare Naked Ladies, before we get onto to other stuff, you obviously have a songwriting role there. I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you find that process a little bit different? Well, it obviously is different to working on your own, but you, you find that a fairly um, organic process or it's fairly well formalized?
0: Well, when I joined the band, I was really asked to join as the keyboardist mm-hmm. and guitarist. So, uh, songwriting wasn't really on the ticket. But um, so I do my solo work on the side, and um, it was often well received, you know. And I think the guys noticed and sort of made them more comfortable to bring me in in that capacity, especially when I I was, you know, obviously committed to the band after a few records and. Uh, so now it's pretty comfortable. Every record we do, I I bring in a few songs and guys cherry-pick the ones they like. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. Well, that doesn't get much more organic than that, really. <laughs> no. no, that's good. And um, before we get on to yours, one last thing before your solo work, and that's you, you talked about your lawn darts revelation with Lou Reed. Um, you obviously played a, yeah. a, a pivotal role in, um, as MD and keyboard player with Lou Reed for, um, seven or eight years there. Do you, can you give us a little bit of an insight into again, how that was different for you and what you learned from that experience?
0: Oh, from working with Lou? Yeah. Oh my God. Working with Lou, I learned something in a minute. Mm. He was, he was just an amazing human being and, I remember we were rehearsing Candy Says, and he always liked me to sing in the rehearsals so he could sort of step back in the room and listen to how things were sounding. And um, he walked over and said, Kevin, listen to the lyrics of the song and I really want to feel what they mean. I want you to s- sing it like you mean it. <laughs> and uh, to have you know Lou Reed say that to you, it makes an impression, right? So, <laughs> but he was—he was on me. He was on top of me. My, my first few rehearsals with him, he—he he really wanted me to try things because he wanted to get to know me and get to know what ideas were in my head. So, um, I just kept trying things, and he would comment on them, and it was so nerve wracking. But yeah, you know, yeah. we were rehearsing um, "Satellite of Love." Mm-hmm. And I had my Access Virus synth, and I thought, okay, I'm going to open the filter and make sort of a a sweeping sound, you know? So I did this, and he stopped the band, and he goes, Kevin, what was that, a rocket ship? (laughs) And he goes, don't do that. (laughs) But, you know, then another time, you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to play a sample of a celeste i had a nice celeste sound yep. on pale blue eyes I put a little bit of reverb on it and he stopped the band he goes kevin you are a fucking mind reader i love you
1: so, so there you go yeah
0: yeah so it could go either way it could go either way
1: and, <laughs> yeah. and I've, I've said this to a couple of guests over previous episodes that that um when you're working with a true band leader Um, that's the way it goes as far as you, it's hit and miss. And when you hit, you hit in a big way, but sometimes you will miss.
0: Yeah. And if I, if I wasn't able to try anything, I probably would have been shown the door in about 10 minutes.
1: Actually, that's, that's a great point. So obviously he wasn't looking for someone to just sit there and be told what to do. He was looking for someone that would put forward something different.
0: Yeah. I remember we were playing perfect day and he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, Kevin, congratulations, you know the record. I want to hear Kevin Hearn play it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't get much better than that, really. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, but no, thank I you.
0: Love, I loved Lou, though. I loved him as a friend, as a person. I miss him so much. Mm.
1: And yeah. it, it's, it's just I didn't realize until doing the research that it had been um, so many years already since he passed. It's just, yeah, it doesn't seem that long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, thank you for sharing that. And so let's let's talk about uh, your, you know, just small amount of solo output. You know, this only, <laughs> it's, it's blown my mind. And, and I, I feel like I have a bit of an insight into why you've produced so much great music across so many different areas based on what you said about how there was, uh, different music in every room of your house. Growing up, because <laughs> for those that don't know, Kevin's solo work and with um, the band Thin Buckle, as you mentioned, the Rare Statics with the cousins, uh, and then your your what I'd call true solo work um, is <laughs> that It covers the whole gamut. So um, I don't even know where to start with this. But do, is that a fair appraisal that it's just you are you love delving into anything um, that takes your fancy?
0: Yes. Uh, and I think there's a there's a part of me that enjoys music that's um, perhaps lighthearted or has an element of humor in it. But I also really enjoy um, music with with dark colors mm. as well. You know, to get to play heroin with Lou every night, yeah. it's like. You're down in the dirt and playing for, like your life depended on it, you know, it was just incredible. And then with the Bare Naked Ladies, you know, we, we make up songs in the show and, and make people laugh. And uh, I kind of love both ends of the spectrum.
1: Yeah. And, and that's obvious from your work. And just, I mean, on the, uh, in quotation marks, darker end of the spectrum, even your most recent album, Common Sense, I just found, and I obviously hadn't heard that until doing research, but listened to it end-to-end end last night. I mean, it's a breathtaking instrumental album. It's just, I don't know, right up my alley, and I'll be linking to it in the show notes. But let's probably talk a little bit about that. What led to that one being recorded with um, your two collaborators?
0: Uh, yeah, Hugh Marsh on violin, who's a wonderful, um, just a wonderful player, and Chris Gartner, who I've been playing with for years in my band Buckle. What led to that record was um, I had a reoccurrence of cancer, and it uh, it attacked me in my tongue. Mm. And so I had to be in treatment, and I couldn't talk for a long time, and but I still wanted to make music, so I decided I'd make an instrumental record Um And so I went up north to my cabin with Hugh and Chris and our engineer, Kenny Long, and made that record.
1: Um, And it's, yeah, look, uh, I, again, can't recommend it highly enough. And the isolation there, um, again, for non-Canadian listeners or those that don't live on lakes of the, of the scale <laughs> that Canada has. I mean, I spent only a couple of days on a lake in the late nineties with, with our Canadian friends. And it wasn't until then I realized just the scope and the scale of what, what you guys live in up there. And this is coming from a guy in one of the biggest continents on earth as well. Um, and that you can tell that has an impact on your music. Would that be a fair assessment?
0: Absolutely. It's really wild up there. And, if you look at the cover of the record, it's mm. a forest and the reflection in the water. But that's that's where the record was made, looking out at that that view.
1: Yeah, it's it's absolutely, my, and I mean, I, I went in summer. I, I haven't braved a winter in Canada. I'll, I'll be the first to admit. <laughs> so, and then uh, obviously, um, that's that common sense album. Kevin is one of, of many solo albums. Um, plans to do further ones, obviously.
0: Um, I hope so. Yeah, I've I've been working on a few different ideas and things. So I've been working uh, on a few new songs with my cousin Harland. Um, And I've been working on some new stuff with Hugh. So, but I'd really, yeah, I'd really like to get out there, though, and, and perform the Common Sense record. So I'm actually preparing a, a, um, like a video element to accompany Great. the music. So hopefully if the world gets back to some level mm. of normal, I'll do that.
1: Um, no, that, that would be brilliant to see. And, and with, uh, you mentioned Harlan and, and The Cousins, so how would you describe, because the obvious, if, if I hadn't heard that album before, and didn't know where it had originated. I would have said it's, it's even got a bit of an Americana feel, which is not necessarily the best description for... for so, how, how would you describe the album? It's, it's brilliant.
0: Oh, The Cousins? Well, first, yeah. I don't know if people know my cousin Harlan Williams, but he's an actor-comedian. He was in Dumb and Dumber, and he played the hitchhiker in Something About Mary. Uh, he's a very funny fellow. Um, but he really wanted to be a musician... Uh, and make a record and I really wanted to be a comedian and make a funny record <laughs> so it sort of meets in the middle somewhere and uh, to me it sounds like kind of a weird version of ween or something but yeah, okay. <laughs> uh you know I to me, I think of it in a way like the White Album by the Beatles. There's so many different flavors it on it and it changes up all the time and you don't never know really what to expect or what's coming around the corner. So I like to think of it that way.
1: Yeah, great. Now, I'm going to hopefully let you go relatively soon, but we're just going to briefly talk about gear. So um, you've already mentioned some of the stuff you love, but what's your – let's use bare naked ladies in the, in the first instance, what's your go-to rig that you backline or take with you when you're touring and performing? Uh,
0: well, I have a Yamaha piano that is a, um, it's a hybrid piano. It has real keys and real hammers, but they're hitting a sample strip. Yeah. So it's always in tune, but, um, it has the feel, like I'm playing a piano, and I really like that. I believe it's called the N1, um, or whatever the latest version of that is, because they've sort of uh, updated it every few years. Um, and then on top, I uh, I have a uh, controlled keyboard, and it's uh, like an Axiom, oh, yep. Yep. Axiom controller keyboard. And it's connected to my laptop where I have main stage right. and I have all the sounds I've either created or sounds from, uh, like the, the mood plug plugins, gotcha. that sort of thing. So yeah. And then
1: go to plugins you use, Kevin, say the Moog one you've mentioned other ones you, you couldn't live without.
0: Well, when I'm recording the, um, the Mellotron one, the Mtron has oh, yeah. come in really handy. Um, and, What's the really nice synth one that I use? God, I can't remember the damn name of it. Um, I'm sorry, that's I can't okay. remember.
1: No, no problems. So, so, but a main stage convert, it's fair to say.
0: Yeah, and the one I can't remember, that's the one I really like.
1: <laughs> it's always the <low>. like.
0: <laughs> Is it called Abyss or Bliss? or? Oh, oh gosh, it could be Abyss. But... Yeah, there's
1: so many. That's the thing. It's hard to remember yeah. the names. Yeah.
0: There's a nice piano one too called Giant that I like. Oh,
1: yep. Yeah, yeah, Giant. That's a um, Native Instruments one. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Um, No, excellent. And and so in the coming year for you, Kevin, obviously subject to us hopefully getting back to some state of normal, um, what's coming up for you in the coming 12 months?
0: Well, I guess we'll catch up on all these tours we've had to cancel, Mm. hopefully. Um, You know, I – I don't know. Do you know the Violent Femmes? I played oh, yeah. on their record, too. We can do anything.
1: Oh, there you go. Yeah, big Violent yeah. Femmes fan.
0: Yeah, I did the record cover. I did the drawing on the cover of that record, and I play keyboards on it, too.
1: I'll definitely be checking so. that one out. They're, they're regular visitors to Australia, the Violent Femmes. We, we see them quite often.
0: Yeah, well, Brian lives in Tasmania, doesn't he? Oh,
1: they, see, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That would explain yeah. why they're in Australia <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. There you go.
0: Yeah, good friend of mine, good guy.
1: And will we, we, yeah. we see you in Australia at some stage? I mean, you, you know,
0: we, we've been planning it. We got to come back, and we were planning it, but now it's probably not going to be for a while. Yeah, but yeah. we do want to come back for sure. I, I've I, never I, even been. I've never been there. I was just in the hospital the last time Ben was there.
1: Oh, there you go. Yeah. And I mean, I think common sense at the Sydney Opera House, and I've used this line on another guest before, but I, I think common sense at the Opera House would go down a treat just, you know, while you're here, a bit of a side gig.
0: Book it for me, man. Let's do it. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll send, send what you I can my do. writer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And um, our last question, just, and this is a put you on the spot question, Kevin, but it's a pleasant one, and that's Desert Island discs. So, five. Five albums you you couldn't live without.
0: Oh, geez, Louise. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm just gonna look through. I gotta have a collection of Sun Ra's music. Yeah. <laughs> I got. Yeah. I gotta have a Lou Reed. Um, maybe Velvet Underground. Oh yeah. Maybe the Be- Banana album. I'm gonna have to have. Let's see, Bob Marley. Oh yeah. And the whalers, maybe some Kaya. Um, what am I at now? That's three. Okay, how many more do I have?
1: You can have as many as you want, really, but we do oh, fight, okay. Please. It's not legally <laughs> mandated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not gonna get arrested. No, that's right. Six records. Oh, there's a record called The Meeting by the River by Rai Cooter and VM oh, Bot. Yeah. Oh, gorgeous. And, okay, we need a good synth record, right?
1: Yeah, that's a good idea.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, okay, a good synth record. Okay, let's do Howard
1: Jones, oh, Humans Lib. Oh, now you've sold me.
0: <laughs> okay, and oh, OMD... Um, OMD Greatest
1: Hits. Uh, look, it's the, oh, yeah, I'm going to stop here because OMD, obviously a rabid fan and I'm very excited to be seeing them. Hopefully for the first time ever this year, they're touring with Simple Minds in Australia towards oh, the end of the year. And I'm, I bought the tickets. I mean, I like Simple Minds, but they're, yeah. they're the headliners, but I actually bought the tickets because OMD were the support. <laughs> Cool.
0: I yeah.
1: love OFD. Amazing I love those band. guys. Yeah, <laughs> and they're still kicking on with really strong releases. That's the the thing that a lot of um, people don't understand. That don't follow them. They're just putting out really good stuff still. Yeah. So, Kevin, that, that's a great that's a great suite. You've you've certainly um, picked some good ones there. So, can't thank you huh? enough. I know you've had a busy afternoon and early evening, um, and and really appreciate. It. I barely feel like we've scratched the surface, but that's what will happen when you have a long and successful career as a player
0: oh you're too kind thank you
1: so there you have it i hope you enjoyed that um as i mentioned in the intro kevin's body work is enormous and it was really difficult to try and cover that in the time we had but um We definitely tried our best. And um, do check out the show notes for the episode at keyboardchronicles.com because I'll have links to a whole range of Kevin's work and it is well and truly worth um, having a closer look at. I know it's on my regular playlist now. So again, thank you as always for joining us. Um, We love to hear from you. Uh, We'll be back in a fortnight, but you can keep in touch with us via a few means. So our website, as I've just mentioned, is www.keyboardchronicles.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Keyboard Chronicles and on Twitter at the Keyboard CHR1. If you'd like good old-fashioned email, then drop us a line at editor at keyboardchronicles.com. And thank you to those that have emailed. Um, We we are getting an increasing volume of emails with guest suggestions and other feedback, and it is seriously appreciated. We we really do enjoy it. Um, So, yeah, most importantly, thanks to you for listening, and I hope to see you back here next episode.